You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Today's sermon text is from Matthew 28, 16-20. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. dig into that here. But I want to draw out, as you can see on the screen, the importance of that we are disciples. We're discipling disciples. And it keeps going. We're discipling disciples. We're discipling more disciples. It doesn't stop with you or else you're really not a disciple. This, me speaking with believers here, family here within King's Cross, you know, there's a certain... Um, when I start talking about multiplication, there can be some general idea of what we're talking about. Are we talking about evangelism? Or are we talking about meeting over a book study? Or are we talking about, well, anybody familiar with this? Where are you seeing these? 
<laughs> I got the old social, some people know what this is. This is a million dollar bill. <laughs> Not a million dollar bill. Um, it is printed million dollar bill. I have two. If anyone wants to see one after, I'll be, it's very fresh and crisp. Um, uh, it keep it in my Bible for a bookmark. And the back it says the million dollar question, uh, will you go to heaven when you die? And then proceeds to go down. It's a track. So not, I'm not dogging on tracks. I hold it here. Uh, I'm just saying, what is it we're talking about? We're talking about multiplication. So we're going to dig into Matthew. And, and I believe, see, without going very far, uh, a very clear picture of Christ's commission for his disciples. I mean, he's leaving the earth and got one last word in. It's probably important. So if you would, before we begin, pray with me and the Spirit would be with us and lead us in our time of study. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity and the privilege we get to come together like this. Thank you that you give us um, your word, Lord, that we can open it up and that we can read, we can study, we can understand, God, by your Spirit, by your grace. Lord, I pray that your Spirit be with us today. Lord, you use my words and Lord, teach our hearts that we would have ears to hear uh, what is true, God, we would have the heart's desire to obey and follow after you. We ask all this in Christ's name. So what is uh, a disciple? What exactly are we talking about? When we talk about multiplication, we're talking about making disciples. Well, I, I looked to a, a book that um, is called Discipling, a very nice, brief little book put out through um, Nine marks, and it has some really, uh, really simple directives on this, thoughts on it, biblical text to it. Um, but they use a, a definition that I think is helpful for us, and, and it's this: discipling is helping someone follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good in his or her life. Discipling is helping someone follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good in his or her life. And. Now, if you think about that and you dwell on it, that's, that's kind of broad. Maybe not specific definitions you've had before. Um, but you can do that with a believer, and you can do that with an unbeliever. But you can help someone, try to aim someone towards Jesus by doing intentional, deliberate, spiritual good in their life. And we're going to look at Matthew 28, and I think that that call to discipleship that Jesus puts on our life is to do just that. To be deliberate in the way that we do spiritual good in the life of others so that we can help them follow Jesus. In this text, the big, big idea that I want to draw out and I don't want to bury the lead is that Jesus, our King and the Lord over all, commissions us to make disciples promising to always be with us. I almost summed up the text. Our King and the Lord of all commissions us to make disciples, promising to always be with us. See, Christianity is actually one of the few proselytizing religions, if you're aware of that word, that term, the idea of trying to convert people to what you believe. Um, other faiths, actually, in most cultures, or nearly everyone has the kind of same idea of the afterlife. It's just a general thing for everyone. Um, we have a very unique view because we have a very unique Savior who has taught us a very, very important, important purpose. And Charles Spurgeon calls this out and he says this, The mission of the church is to go into all the world and tell 
uh, and tell uh, out the good gospel to every creature. The great end and aim of home missions is to testify the gospel to every soul. So in this text, Jesus gives three important truths, I think, that he bears witness to. Three important truths. And we're going to look at them one by one, starting with the first, that Jesus reigns with absolute all authority. That Jesus reigns with all authority. Verses 16 through 18, look at this with me. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Let's stop there for a minute, because I think it's easy for us to criticize. I've heard it. I've heard the sermon that says, can you believe this? They saw Jesus come back from the dead. He was buried. He's back in front of them, and they're like, I don't know. I mean, is this guy real? Right? It can be funny. We can criticize. We can laugh a little bit. Um, I don't know about you, but I tend myself, maybe this is a universal thing, to identify with the heroes of most stories that I hear or, or watch, right? Right? Like I'm, I'm considering myself like, am I Thor? Am I Captain America? You know, am I, am I Iron Man? No, no, he's... Who am I in this story, Spider-Man? I'm too old to be Spider-Man. But most often or not, we're thinking about that. You know, you take that to the Bible, and sometimes you're thinking you're reading stories like David and Goliath, and you're going like, well, what, what stones would I pick out, right? You know, I'm going to go slay my dragons, uh, or not my, my Goliaths, my giants. Um, and, and I go a little bit further with Peter, who's a disciple of Christ, and there's a, the story where he's in the boat, right? And the storm's coming, and it's getting crazy. All the disciples are there, and Jesus comes walking across. He sees him, and Peter says, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to go after him, right? And he starts walking after Jesus. He starts losing faith. He starts looking at the storm, and he starts sinking, and Jesus reaches out his hand. He grabs Peter and says, you have, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And am I, the lesson maybe I'm taking is going, man, would I just stay on the water and just keep my eyes on Jesus? That's what I need to be doing. Let's be real honest here. I'm in the boat. I'm not the guy in the water. And many of us are in that same position. We're not David slaying the dragon. We're back at camp. I say it's a dragon. Giant. He's a giant. He's scary to me. I've been thinking about Lord of the Rings. Okay, so I did. I was watching videos. Never another epic to be made like Lord of the Rings. I'm sorry, son. Okay. Um, but really, he's not, we're not out there slaying the giant. We're back at the camp scared. Right? I, I mean, let's be honest. We, we have here in the Bible not a book about heroes. And that's actually a really good thing. That's a really good thing. It's not a book about heroes like some might think we have to necessarily emulate all that they do. Because while David slays the giant, while he takes down Goliath, he also later commits heinous adultery and kills the husband. N not to emulate. Peter may have been so, f so bold as to walk out onto the water and, and, and so bold as to put his foot in his mouth and speak up first at every event and every opportunity. And even in Acts, later on, when we see him, he, he preaches the first sermon after Jesus leaves that we can see this giant um, turning this... Uh, <laughs> I'm losing my words. I haven't slept too much tonight. Um, so we, we, we see all these 3,000 come to faith in a revival but he denied that he even knew Christ when he needed him most. 
Everywhere throughout the text, the Bible is blatantly honest about people, about men and women in the story, and that is so good for us because we probably could many of us identify with those disciples more than we might think. Look, the world they knew as they, as they knew it, the Jewish community literally had, tr- had put to death their leader. The world's against them. And he's trying to leave. Uh, Jesus rose from the dead, but I don't know. Did he really die? Is he real? Is this a thing we want to, com- this is a big commitment. They're nervous. They're wondering what happens next. They're doubting. That's where a lot of us are going to be. And I think it would be helpful, even though we can laugh a little bit, that they're, they're doubting. We should take note of how Jesus addresses them. Because he actually does immediately address their doubt. And it says this, Jesus came near. Jesus came near and encouraged them. You know why I say that? Because he came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Just a reminder, guys, I'm in control. He came near. He knew they were doubting. He didn't say, guys, are you serious? Look at my hands. What is wrong with you? It's probably what I would be saying. I'd be the Peter in the group. I'd be like, come on, man, he's here. Or I'd be doubting myself. But what does he mean by all authority has been given to me? Isn't he the son of God? Why does he need authority given to him. Well, there's actually a really good reason he says that. There's actually a very biblical reason he says that. Because even though as the son of God, he absolutely has all authority, we can read what he means in in Philippians when Paul says this, Philippians 2, 6 to 11, talking about Jesus who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. See, the Son of God, though he was, with all authority, he became a man. He became a man, and he didn't lose his godness. No, didn't lose his godness. We would say he added humanity, taking on the likeness of humanity. And as a man, we see that Christ on earth demonstrated authority. He healed the sick. He healed the lame, the blind. He forgave sin. He taught with authority is what they said when people heard him. He taught with authority. He commanded literal creation by standing on a boat and saying, stop, storm. Okay, that's authority. He cast out demons. But it also says not only did he come as a man, and now we see he demonstrated authority, but as a man, he also humbled himself to serve us. Continuing in Philippians 2, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even to death on the cross. Are you with me now? Listen, Jesus, son of God, he has authority in heaven. He says, nah, I'm becoming man because I want to, I want to serve you by laying down my life. And in his final demonstration of his authority, he conquers Satan's sin and death on the cross. It takes away all doubt that he's in charge. And now as Jesus, the God-man, now as Jesus, the God-man who laid down his life, the rest of Philippians completes the story. God has exalted him. For this reason, he laid down his life. 
God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For the first time ever, a man, because God is man, Jesus is man, now has all authority in heaven and earth. Realize that? Before Jesus, God's people had the priests interceding on their behalf, acting as spiritual liaisons with God. Now Jesus, fully God, fully man, sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He made the final sacrifice, and in Hebrews 4 tells us this, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Why? But one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Because he is a man. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive and find grace receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Jesus, the God-man, can sympathize, sympathize with you. This is so important. When Jesus, as a man, looks at his disciples, looks at us and says, all authority has been granted and given to me. Jesus was, he, he, he's experienced everything to the worst. You know, he was born poor parents in the wrong town. Whenever he was around talking and people heard he was from Nazareth, they were like, can anything good come from Nazareth? I couldn't think of a good illustration of a town that might not offend anybody, so I didn't. But, but really, literally the town he's born in, they're like, really? That's the wrong side of the tracks, if you know that phrase. He was born under questionable circumstances. Remember this? His, his mom got pregnant before he was, she was married. And people heard about it. They knew some. They even made comments about it. Now we know that God, the Holy Spirit, is what brought Christ. And he came to Mary, but everybody else is like, are we sure about that? Was that his name, Holy Spirit? His friends abandoned him in the garden when the, when the guards came to take him and arrest him. They just ran. Peter denied him, like we said. Denied even knew him, knowing him. He stood accused and convicted, but he was not guilty. Ever been accused of something you didn't do? That's the worst. And then he was beaten and he was bruised as an innocent man, and he took all of that on in the flesh. See, listen, we doubt you doubt, you worry, you fear, he understands. He can sympathize. Your pain, your hurt, your betrayals, Jesus can sympathize. Your guilt and your sin, he died for that. Believers here, he sees you, he knows you, he loves you and all authority has been given to him. He laid down his life for you. What else could we be afraid of? 
He is literally comforting his disciples as we should be comforted because the God with all authority loved us enough to die on our behalf and he's in charge. Why would we fear what man could do to us? Why would we worry and bother? Why would we worry about what system is in place? We can do the best we can in this world, but it's not the end. He is. Systems fail. People will fail you. You will fail you. It's not everybody else's fault. I made multiple bad decisions this morning already. He is sovereign over us. He rules. He reigns. And listen, if you're here today, unbeliever, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, whether today, tomorrow, or after you die. You will confess that he's Lord. And it'd be wrong for us not to show him to you, to give you that opportunity to worship the one true king in this lifetime and turn to him and trust him because he has all authority. His authority is a comfort to his disciples, but also removes all excuses because he's about to say something. He's about to give some direction and what else are you going to say? The one with all authority says, I got something I need you to do. So what does he ask him to do? The second truth we pull out of here is this. Jesus now commissions disciples to make disciples. 19 through 20, the beginning of 20. He says this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Okay, here's an important thing. Anybody like grammar? I'm such a nerd. Okay, listen, I'm only gonna say this not because I think I need to make some big, deep theological truth over this, but I just wanna point this out. Uh, the imperative, anybody know that term? The action, the command verb here is make disciples. Okay? Um, going, yes, I came from a school, everything said go, and that is fine and good. They use it well, okay, all right, all right. But it is saying here, hey, okay, okay, just go and make disciples. The imperative is make disciples, okay? So you decide, I'm gonna go on a mission trip, I go uh, overseas, I'm gonna spend my life over in some area, I'm gonna go to Southeast Asia, whatever it is, and you make no disciples. You're not obeying Jesus. Just going isn't the part that's important. And it's not even that you have to go anywhere. He's literally saying, hey guys, I'm leaving. Hey, make disciples. <laughs> make disciples. Make disciples. You might make excuses in this. You might think, I can't disciple anyone. I don't know anything. But here's the important thing. When it says make disciples, it is not literally saying you're creating a disciple. That is not the absolute. The term make there, it's, it's forming, preparing, investing in. So Jesus is not saying you have to bring somebody some glorious completion. All right? That's his job. 
That's where we go back to the beginning and say, it is showing someone Jesus by deliberately uh, doing spiritual good. Okay? It is showing them Jesus. And you might say, I can't disciple anyone. I don't know anything. Listen, I was a, I was a teacher. That might be weird to, to think that. I taught high school physics for a couple years. And the last year I taught high school physics, um, I was one of the later classes, some students hanging around and they said something about, so you're not gonna teach anymore. And in some weird, I don't know, um, philosophical moment of wisdom, I guess, I was like, I'm always teaching somebody something. <laughs> My point being though, <laughs> truth is, uh, don't underestimate, you are influencing somebody. Yeah. The difference is, so, so I would even go so far as to say this, you are discipling people, okay? It's just whether or not you're doing it well, right? If we're a believer and we have neighbors, coworkers, friends, this church, we know you're a believer, we're learning something from you. We're learning something about your life. We are watching you, not in a creepy way. Maybe Facebook's talking you, I don't know. But truth is, we're seeing and learning from you. And the important call from Christ is not that we do that casually, but we do it intentionally. Deuteronomy 6 is in the Old Testament, but it carries the same kind of weight. Because in Deuteronomy 6, God is talking to his people, Israel, and he has given them his law, and he is commanding them in a way that they should live within his law. And they says this in verses four through nine. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your forehead and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. God's law, not only in here, but out here, everywhere. As you walk, as you sit with your children, as you, as you talk at the city gates and you're socializing, for us, let's apply this as we look at gospel truth. The gospel is not only good for a ticket to heaven, yet it is a truth that guides our life that we speak about it. If you have a hard time with that, let's talk. Because the truth is, I, the first and foremost thing we need to do is look at our own heart and life and how we're growing in our affections for Christ, and he'll start to overflow. He does start to overflow. He says this right here. He says, the two parts of, of discipleship, of being a disciple maker, Jesus points to directly. First, baptizing, and second is teaching. The first baptizing is making disciples, is welcoming in new family members. That's what he's talking about. The, 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 um, the ordinances, if you will, to be doing the things of the church, to be baptizing believers. This is us welcoming in new believers to the faith, those who are part of the family of God. It's the very earliest form of discipleship, evangelism, bringing them in to the family of God, Okay. And so, so Jesus says, make disciples. How? Baptizing them into the covenant community. 
They come together with us like this and publicly profess what God has done inside their heart so that we might celebrate together and then commit to one another to live the mission together. To go out from this place in a way that we know we didn't come in here, we, we didn't leave changed. That we do leave changed. That we leave with a different purpose. And to encourage that, that brother or sister in the family to live that out in their life. So baptizing them into the family. And then secondly, he says, teaching them. Making disciples is investing over a lifetime. Okay? Uh, when he says teaching them, it's not, I've got a lesson for you. Okay? It's teaching. It's encouraging. It's investing. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, Let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting together together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as the day is approaching, pushing and pressing and encouraging one another onto good works. Man, that is community coming together for the gospel and the discipleship of one another. Paul says in Colossians, when he's talking about the faith of the Colossian church, that he says, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Okay, I want to pull something out of here and point this out. Paul, in multiple places, makes this connection. Unity and community, love together, is directly connected with maturity and growth in Christ. I'm I want them to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding. So that you cannot be at odds with a brother and sister and think you're growing closer to Christ. That we invest in one another, we learn from one another, and we grow closer together as we grow closer to him. And why do we aim for that? Well, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's where life is. And he says a very similar thing in Ephesians chapter four. And they read this in verse 11. He himself, being Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, those being gifts in the church, pastors and teachers. If you think that I'm a pastor, preacher, teacher, and I have a gift in that, and you affirm that, then I can say, praise God, God gave that to me for a purpose, and it's this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach, here's the word, unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Believer, if you're in here today, you have a gift from God to be used for the building up of the body of Christ. Not to be kept inside and maybe flashed out every once in a while when you come to service on Sunday. And if only that one gift might be to intentionally invest in a brother and sister for their good and God's glory, Let's do that deliberately. So out of teaching, there are actually three important kind of categories that I want us to think about. I think I have three. I'm not a good counter. Let's see. 
three. The first is this. When it comes to teaching instruction and growth and discipleship, the first one is growing. Personal love for God. Forming others and being formed, right? Growing, personal growth. And at King's Cross, we want to invest in the growth of each individual believer here. We want to invest in the growth of each member as best we can. As in Ephesians, it says that we are to prepare the saints for the work of ministry. So we teach through the Bible on Sunday mornings. That's not just like because it's fun. I mean, it's fun. I enjoy this. But it's also because we know that God's word doesn't return void. And, and we also know as we teach the full counsel, as we teach what is the full counsel, all that God might have for us, even the parts that we might be uncomfortable with, that God can grow us and teach us. He works within us. And so we want to teach through this. And we also want to do it in such a way that we're being thoughtful that maybe even as you come out of here, we learn together how to study God's word, how to look at his word, how to, how to learn from God's word and to think. I don't go to other passages of scripture because I'm thinking, hey, it'd be cool to throw a verse in here. Because we understand that there's unity in the Bible. And that I can find here in Matthew the same thing that I'm gonna find Paul talking about in Philippians. And if it's not the same, at least on the surface, we can learn why. What is he trying to say? And what is he trying to teach us? The second thing we have, uh, one of the other ways that we try to grow as individuals and personally is we invest in gospel community groups. And we got two of those right now. Boy, we love to blow those up and keep, you know, rocking and rolling. But we're at the beginning of the year. Half the people have been having COVID. But you know what? Community groups are a place where we come together and disciple one another, encourage one another, look at the word more, turn it over, pray over it, learn from one another. But you as individuals, you also have a responsibility in your personal growth. You also need to submit your life to one another. Did you know discipleship takes a lot of humility? If you're not humble in discipleship, then you're doing it wrong. You're not disciple. Well, you are teaching them wrong. You're more like what you're more like what Jesus said when he told the Pharisees that you're making them twice the son of hell because you're showing pride in whatever you're doing. Not love, not humility, not kindness, not grace. It takes humility, and it takes humility to submit to someone else, to be able to listen and hear and to learn from someone else. It takes humility to actually seek investment from others. Have you ever tried to ask someone if they would invest in you because it would, because you think you could learn something from them? Have you ever done that and been turned down? Yeah. It takes humility to keep asking. Because, hey, what, look, we all have schedules and time and stuff doesn't work out. We can ask the right person, but it would be wise and I believe godly for you to seek out someone that you can learn from because you don't have and not everything in you is for teaching others. We can all grow. It also takes humility to be accountable to one another. And so taking responsibility in your own growth is also being accountable to other people, being accountable to other members of the church, being accountable to other members of your small group. The second way in which we wanna be thoughtful about engaging and teaching and discipleship is through equipping, okay? We talked about, as a church, we're looking at equip classes. 
for discipleship and leadership development. These are very important pieces, we believe. These are framework. Is it the ultimate answer? No, don't trust in us to do all the work. Plug in, get involved, disciple one another. But as a church, we wanna see opportunities for that to happen. And so we wanna prepare leaders. We wanna give people opportunities to go deep into scripture because we believe that that well will never go dry. We wanna prepare leaders, teachers, pastors, church planners, missionaries. And as an individual, you should be investing in the advancement of other people's faith. You should be sacrificing to invest in the knowledge of others. If you are a disciple of Christ, he literally sacrificed it all for you. Consider how God might have you sacrifice for a brother or a sister for their spiritual good. And it doesn't have to be hard, by the way. Could I point you to the fact that it could be something as simple as grabbing a coffee? If you don't like coffee, grab a tea, drink water, be there. Invite others to go along with you on, uh, you know, your, your daily chores on a Saturday, right? Sometimes some of the best um, discipleship conversations are just, hey, can you help me go pick up the trailer that I got to get for church? Be intentional. That's the, that's the key. Be intentional, and it might look a little crazy. Maybe, maybe this resonates with some people. Sometimes, often, discipleship doesn't look nice, neat, and pretty like you think it might, or like you hope. It, it might not be glamorous. In fact, in the, there's, a, there's an anecdote in the book Discipling that I mentioned earlier that was absolutely about this, where a pastor's wife learned how God still works in the craziness. And she talks about every time she tried to have younger members of the church, ladies over the house, it always something happened. Kids are screaming, won't stop. You know, the, 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 the toilet like started leaking one time, all right? Every time it almost felt like she just was not in a place. You know, she's, she's just had a fight with her husband because he's spending too much time at the office preparing for sermons or whatever it is. All right, he, literally every time somebody shows, like, I'm not feeling this. Until she gets to a point years later, and she says this, God brought a new friend and sister into the church who would come over to hang out on any Saturday afternoon that my husband was busy preparing a sermon. Every time she came over, it seemed like something was going wrong. From a fit of rage in one of my children to the toilet overflowing, it was during one of those times that I looked up at her with a smile, confident in the Lord's perfect timing, and said, you know, God must really love you to let you see all this. That's our confidence. Not that we have the perfect home and well-behaved children, but that in the muck and mire, God's spirit is at work. Even in our weakness, God uses our words to warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, comfort the weak, and show patience to everyone, all for his great glory. You might even find this to be true. That even though the investment of time in reading a book or a study, or some bit of wisdom you might hand over is helpful. Many people you disciple learn far more from watching you. When that kid's screaming and the toilet's clogged and how you walk through that, oh, by the way, you might have a bad attitude and be sinful in the moment, 
Anybody here not sinning at all? Believers, nobody? Everybody got that perfection? That's a thing, right? Okay. Can I be encouraging in this? That, that's not a failure in discipleship. Okay, yeah, sure, we don't, wanna, we, we don't want to sin, but I can encourage you in this. I have often found the most helpful conversations and instructive is when I've had to acknowledge that sin and make that right with a brother or sister. Or an unbeliever, for that matter. Ever been up to an unbeliever? Like, you know what? I just totally responded to you wrong there. And that's not the way I believe Christ has me to respond to people. It was a bad attitude, and I want you, would you forgive me? Martin Luther said that a believer's life is continual repentance. It's a good practice. It's more than that. It's a lifestyle. To acknowledge that we are imperfect before God so that he would be glorified in our imperfections. Now, finally, not only are we wanting to be um, growing ourselves, not only are we wanting to teach or instruct and equip others, but we are sending for love of neighbor. We're sending. King's Cross uh, has been investing in outreach and service opportunities. Uh, over the last end of last year, we had Christmas meal drive that saw 70 families get, get meals, uh, frozen turkeys. We got to meet many of them in the drive through out outside of uh, the Ethiopian church and be a blessing to our community. Meet people that are our neighbors. We're planning an Easter event here in, the, in partnership with Rooted Church. Uh, we're going to do it in this neighborhood, in this community. We're going to do everything that I know how to do and then some whatever anybody can teach me about getting families to know that we're here to love and serve them so we can meet our neighbors. In the spring and the summer, we're organizing projects uh, for you to involve, get involved with uh, Gateways Women's Care, uh, where we can serve them in ways that, uh, that they need, whatever that might be, whether it's just a physical labor, um, it's cleaning up inside, cleaning outside, and even around method. We're preparing to send out people. We're, preparing, we're doing this a quick class because we want to send people out. We're saving money now, like Aaron said, for our first church plants, and we want to be commissioning missionaries. There could be there's some sitting right here. Go. Go. We'll send you. Go. Don't stay here. We don't want to keep the best. Evangelism is the beginning of making disciples. Disciples, discipling, disciples, discipling, disciples. It doesn't have to be complicated. In three years, Jesus had 12 disciples. And by the way, he spent most of his time with three. He went deep with Peter, James, and John. I would encourage you, pray for one. Pray for your one. Pray that God would lay on your heart someone to pray for. Why do we call this multiplication? What would happen, let me ask you, if each one of our members were to disciple one new disciple every year? Do you know what this, have you heard of exponential growth? Anybody finance wizards here? Teaching them to do the same thing, meaning replicating yourself. Do you realize the generational impact there would be? Well, I do, because I did numbers. You want to hear this? Okay. If our church in one every year reached 100 people, in five years we'd have 525 believers in here discipled. 525. In that same time, you would have already reached 800 by replicating yourself. 
Let's go harder. What if we had a thousand? I don't know how we do that, but let's get a thousand every year. A thousand every year, you would still pass that in nine years. Within 10 years, it doesn't have the impact of you finding one person to invest in this year. It doesn't have to be complicated. And then in 20 years from now, one generation, we would see 26 million people be discipled. 26 million. I got a, I got a chart. It goes like this. And I know it's not perfect. Everybody doesn't disciple somebody else. But what if we got half that? What if we reached half that people with the gospel? And here's the thing to remember. As you go out, as you prepare, as you pray, the last and final truth is this. Jesus empowers his witnesses. He empowers his witnesses. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. Making disciples takes boldness, courage, and you might be sent somewhere you're uncomfortable. In practice, it might appear simple and menial, but still awkward. Truth is, we're in a battle every day. In Ephesians, Paul said we need the full armor of God. And making disciples, in this context, Jesus tells us, is fully empowered by his presence. He is with us all day, every day. If you're a believer, he's with you. I remember as a kid, I went to this like truck stop bathroom one time and there was a little advertisement on the wall for a, tr- a tow- uh, towing service. And the tow truck, it was impactful because of this. Tow truck company said 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 366 days a year. <laughs> Which I guess they were, they were just rounding up for leap year. Here's the thing though. The tow truck might have that kind of all day, every day, 366 days a year service, but Jesus doesn't just show up when you break down. Jesus never leaves you or forsakes you. So when we send missionaries and church planners out to the darkest and most lost places, we know Jesus is with them. But even in the mundane, everyday discipleship, as you're faithful, Jesus is there. And you can be confident that he is working. Brothers and sisters, it starts with us. It starts with you. Let's obey our Savior's command. Let's follow him as Lord and make disciples. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your kindness to even reveal to us in this uh, the depth and of the love in which you demonstrate for us in Christ that he would always be with us. I pray, Lord, that we would trust that, that we would know that, and day by day we would walk in that truth by faith as we seek to love our neighbors and to share the gospel which is at the forefront of our mind. Lord, press that deeply into us. God, that we might be more and more in love with Jesus so that he would overflow every day in every conversation that we would that we would share about what is true in our life that it would be true so that we can speak boldly knowing that your love overflows to everyone and your kindness you saved us thank you God for all that you've done and all that you continue to do and thank you Lord that we get to celebrate life and new life together as a family. 
We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.